Today I'm going to be learning more about something that I've taken part in but I didn't fully understand. I recently let my car insurance company track my driving habits. The time of day I drove, hard acceleration or hard braking habits were all monitored. Considering myself a fairly safe driver, I thought this would be an easy way to get a discount on my premium. But during my talk with Matthew Gibson, Head of Behavioral Insurance Market Enablement at Manulife, I came to understand that I wasn't the only one that considered myself a good driver. In fact, a large percentage of people would class themselves as being above average at being a safe driver. Now, as Matthew explains, that's not how averages work. So behavioral insurance seeks to add some visibility to insurance premiums. By monitoring my driving habits, the insurance company could say that I'm better or worse than the group of drivers in that premium bracket. What I learned from Matthew is that this is filtering over into life insurance too. People can get rewarded by living healthier, more active lifestyles with lower premiums and reap the physical and mental benefits of a healthier lifestyle. Stay tuned as I talk to Matthew all about behavioral insurance. Welcome to Solutions to Go, Matthew. Thanks, Peter. Really, uh, really excited to have this conversation today. Great, great. So let's talk about how we got here. Behavioral insurance is quite a new term. Can you explain what it means to our curious listeners? Behavioral insurance simply is insurance that is dynamic. So that's one that adapts positively, as the name suggests, to behaviors. So that's really to say that it gets better or there's rewards as consumers exhibit positive behavior. So let's use just car insurance as a, as a very kind of basic example, right? You have car insurance in the event that you get into a accident, the insurance pays for the repairs for the vehicle. Now, or behavioral insurance version of this, and you see this actually through a number of carriers in Canada, as well as really predominantly in the United States, if you are a safe driver or you're exhibiting quote unquote safe driving behaviors, right? You should be paying less for your auto insurance. And that can be kind of nudged and rewarded through either like a mobile app that gives you guidance on positive driving behaviors, or maybe a telematic device that you utilize within the in the car to you know nudge you towards you know slower slower braking slower speeds seatbelt usage not texting while driving things like that but then again it's reflected positively in a premium savings yeah i can see that being uh, really handy actually and it's funny i uh myself i had the the app for my car insurance and and i found that it did and i would get home and i would check it and it was like oh you had two braking events and I was like oh I gotta like I gotta work harder at not you know at being more careful essentially so um it, it just makes sense to transfer that over to life insurance etc yeah and and I think where where it really comes to be most powerful is right you, you've created this flywheel effect right so if the insurance carrier in that example can encourage positive behaviors be it safe driving or health behaviors or what have you, that then in turn is clearly good for the insurer because they're not necessarily having that that claim experience. But it's also good for the insured or the driver in that example because they didn't get into a car accident. That's great. But where it comes to life is they take that value that they've experienced from the business side, pass it back to the customer in the form of 
a premium reduction, let's say, or other incentives towards positive behavior, driving behavior in this example, you've now created the incentive for the driving behavior, which then draws future outcomes, which then draws into the ability to pass more back. So you've created this virtuous cycle of that. And I think where it's important where it comes to life from a carrier perspective is that's very clear that it's good for them professionally, for the business. And where it comes to life is if you're working with a carrier, when it becomes a matter of values, principles, and convictions. And I think that's really what brings both commercial success for the carrier, but also success to people and society at large. That's really where it comes to life. That's great. That's great. Now, you mentioned in your extensive work that there are three trends that sort of shape modern insurance. Can you just let us know what those are and and why they're important? So you have the nature of risk itself, the impact of technology as number two, and the third one really is is social responsibilities. And, And I think together, these three aren't just important in their own right, and they absolutely are. But what's really interesting is that these are all generally new things that are having an impact on modern insurance. You know, their impact is fairly new, but they're markedly substantial in their impacts themselves. Let's dive into the first one, which is the nature of risk. Being in the insurance industry, I know that evaluating risk is a big part of the underwriting process, but it's one thing to write a perfectly healthy 50-year-old life insurance policy. But then how does behavioral insurance manage the risk of the lifestyle choices going forward? I think it's important to understand, right? Like, you know, when you're doing underwriting, it is a singular snapshot in time. The the carrier, if it's life insurance, they get really a one lens look at that customer and they say, gee, I really hope that customer lives a really long, healthy life, but doesn't do anything in that. And the reason that that's a problem is that the nature of risk has changed. We're fortunate enough to be existing in a period of time where most deaths are not caused by communicable diseases, right? Let's just put COVID on the side for now, and I'll I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. But what's really happening is that there are four lifestyle choices, four behaviors that are smoking, poor nutrition, excessive alcohol consumption, and lack of physical exercise. Together, those four lead to four of the leading chronic lifestyle diseases, which are diabetes, respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, and cancers. Those lifestyle diseases attribute to about 60% of deaths worldwide. So the logical approach to this would be, well, if I wanna mitigate some of those deaths, I should just make better choices. and. For those of you who may you know, have a, a, a teenage driver, let's say, in your house yelling out the window, say, make good choices, is not an easy way to do it. Like, that's not just the simple. Like, human behavior is so much more complicated than that. So how do we address those choices or behaviors that are really having a market impact on risk itself? So let's come back to COVID. Now, I don't want to just be casually dismissive of COVID did absolutely have an impact on on health and mortality. Absolutely. And I don't want to say like, you know, no one's dying from communicable diseases, just fewer than historically. Mm -hmm. But even in the lens of COVID, 
one of the first things that we learned as society was who was at the most risk. People with diabetes, respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, cancers. So those together, even in the face of COVID, due to lifestyle behaviors, are now having a compounding tag-on effect to the impact of risk. So both carriers, as well as just generally risk managers or consumers, we need to be taking a different look at the nature of risk insofar as to how those behaviors are actually impacting it and thinking about how do I make those behavior change? Behavior changes is not easy. So how do you make those changes? And do you see this as sort of a natural evolution of the industry? Like, I feel like the human race is, is sort of naturally evolving. Like back in the day, a lot of people used to smoke and, and you know, used to see the ads with doctors prefer whatever cigarettes and things like that. But over time, we, we do tend to adapt to our, you know, the new research and things like that. And, and I do notice that people in their later years are walking more, being more active. So is this sort of a natural progression that, that insurance would kind of follow this path? It, it really does. It is a natural progression, I think. And I, I think it's partially because consumers are expecting more, right? Mm -hmm. Let, let's just take insurance at its, at its core, right? It is a promise to pay. It's fundamentally what insurance is. I don't care if it's life insurance, promise to pay when you pass away. If it's a health insurance, promise to pay in the event of a specific health condition, critical illness, whatever the case may be. That's very cerebral, right? Like you're like, whereas if I were to buy a car, I'm driving that car. I live in that car. I'm buying a promise in life insurance, as an example, is fundamentally a promise not for me right? Because unfortunately, I've passed away. It's for my family or my business partner, depending on the purpose of the insurance planning. So the fact that carriers now need to think about, we need to be partnering with consumers, because again, consumers are expecting more. How do I partner with that consumer to help them manage that risk, right? It's not just, hey, hope you live a long, healthy life. It's what do we do to actually help that kind of come to bear? I don't think you can really talk about the evolution of insurance without talking about technology. A few years ago, I remember that big data was a buzzword and insurance companies appeared to be well set up to benefit from that. And I think really behavioral insurance evolved from the insurance industry leveraging big data. But take us through what role technology will play in the insurance industry moving forward. Let's really start with how technology has impacted our lives in general and then bring insurance to the forefront through that. So. I think all of us know, over, particularly over the last handful of years, we've had a lot of technology involved in our lives through either working from home, you know, we all get those push notifications on our phone telling us if our screen time was up one week over the next, you know, we all have access to different things because the way we live is changing. Technology is having a profound impact to the way we live and how, by extension, how we view what a product is and what it should be. So let's take something even as, as almost silly as, as Netflix, right? We all have either used Netflix or familiar with it, but if you've ever logged into somebody else's Netflix profile and you see their view of Netflix, 
it's wild, right? Because you're like, who who is this person? Because you're used to, you know, Peter is used to seeing Peter's view of what that looks like. Whereas if Matthew logs in, I'm not Peter. I don't know what this looks like. It's because it's serving up personalized content. It's serving up stuff that is connected. It's interactive. It's it's uniquely Peter Ward in this example, right? It's uniquely you. And when that happens, you have different expectations. So let's even take, let's bring something like Amazon into that conversation, right? Amazon knows when I need to order dog treats for my dog before I even know that I need to do that, right? So I'm getting served up like, hey, reorder your, your dog treats here while you're you know checking out to when you're buying, I don't know, AA batteries, whatever it happens to be. So you're getting served up these personalized things based on you. Insurance, on the other hand, is not doing that, right? As I said previously, it's this nebulous promise, such a cerebral, invisible product, but I'm not getting these specific personalized nudges, be it either where behavioral insurance comes into play is, okay, how do I bring that in to, let's say, oh, well, you said it before, oh, I got a couple of, you know, hard breaking events. How do I actually help Peter with, you know, smoother braking or understanding like, oh, you know, leave more than just one car length between you and the, and the vehicle in front of you. It's creating that personalized touch through the lens of why you bought that insurance product. And I have to say that the Netflix analogy is, is bang on. I, I Sometimes I accidentally log into my wife's account and I'm just bombarded with reality TV shows that I have no idea, you know? So yeah, that's really, that's a really good way to put it. Your third point is in the trends that are shaping modern insurance is social responsibility. Would you mind touching on that point and explaining it to the listeners? Yeah, so social responsibility is something that most larger organizations, you know, you may be hearing the terms ESG and things like that being tossed around, but it, it simply boils down to these organizations, Manulife being one of them, right? We're shifting to being more socially conscious and really it's impacting how we do business as an organization it's focusing on the communities in which we operate and serve at manual life we have something called the manual life impact agenda and and through the impact agenda we're staying true to that mission really kind of in in three core and important ways so the first one is empowering health and well-being to really support consumers in their journey towards a longer, healthier, and better life. The second is driving inclusive economic opportunities to create really a more even playing field for everybody. And the last one is accelerating a sustainable future to preserve the planet in which we all share, right? And I think alone, each of those pieces have a lot of merit and spirit. But what's important to understand is that because these are core to Manulife as an organization, and really every large company as an organization, those things impact what we do in the business. So something is even as simple as we're bringing on, let's say a new vendor that is going to do, let's just say print material for us. Well, we need to make sure that the accelerating a sustainable future piece, you know, what is that vendor doing? from a, you know, are they using recycled paper? You know, what, what is their carbon footprint looking like? 
things like that are impacting how we do that. But even more explicitly, it impacts how we create products. We want to empower health and well-being. Well, we're a major insurer here in Canada. We have a direct opportunity to support our customers in a health and well-being sort of way. How does that impact the product that we're now coming to, to bear? And that's really behavioral insurance being one of them, how we bring that to light um, to the consumer through the products that we're bringing together. That's amazing. It almost seems like a, like you said, like a flywheel effect, right? Like if, if we do that and we are socially responsible, then it encourages the vendors we work with to be socially responsible. And then it encourages the consumer to be socially responsible. So it's good that, you know, corporations are taking this as top of mind and, and, and sort of building that into the product. So that's great. So this all seems to make sense, uh, but displaying this type of positive lifestyle and making good choices is not always easy. Could you dive into some of the forces that conspire against us as humans? Yeah, so that's that's where, where I kind of uh, alluded to earlier, where I said, you know, like, make good choices, like making better choices. Human behavior is so complicated. And, you know, there's this whole concept, what it boils down to, behavioral insurance is fundamentally linked to behavioral economics. You know, and if, you know, for those of you who haven't been to, to university in a while, you know, I think the, the key thing to understand behavioral economics, just, just simply, is it's the concept or the idea that we don't always make rational decisions, right? Humans are unpredictable and we don't necessarily make perfectly rational decisions all the time, right? We have, you know, you have your limbic system and, you know, your prefrontal cortex, right? So you have your lizard brain on one side of the equation, doing the, the things that are like, you know, fight or flight type of things. And then your prefrontal cortex, which is your, your, your reasoning center. But when your limbic system wins, oftentimes you're not making the right rational decision. So how does that work? Even something as simple as the economic concept of over-optimism, it's just simply a way of saying, we tend to think better of ourselves than reality. We tend to think that more positive outcomes are going to happen than not. There's a famous study that was done, you know, basically being like, okay, if I have a group of people and they say, okay, please raise your hand if you think you are more attractive than the average person. And you look around the room and like 80% of the room has their hand raised. Well, unfortunately, mathematically, that's not how averages work. <laughs> Right. So it's just you know, one of the, the concepts. So how does behavioral insurance help mitigate some of that? Right. And the and the short answer is simply transparency. Again, using your, your car insurance example is if I were to ask a room of people who's a better than average driver, most people are going to have their hand raised. Well, you mentioned before, like, oh, I didn't even realize I was having that hard breaking event. The fact that the app was like, hey, Peter, letting you know these events happened. You otherwise wouldn't have known. So how else would you modify that behavior without just the transparency of what that is? And that can be extended through health insurance, life insurance, car insurance, CI insurance. How do I actually just provide transparency into the, the risk itself? You know, and, and there's lots of others, right? I think one of the, you know, the other challenges is humans generally, there's a, there's a fancy term called hyperbolic discounting. It's just a big old fancy way of saying we value things more today than we value them 
tomorrow, right? So if I were to say, hey, I'll give you $100 today, or a month from now, I'll give you $110. Most people are going to want the $100 today, even though a 10% return in a month is pretty darn good, right? But again, we value things more today than we do tomorrow. So how do we help nudge and modify behavior in that regard? And the short answer is, is providing value today. So even something as simple, again, as, as behavioral insurance, maybe it's we're going to give you a premium discount today on the good faith that you are going to do all of these positive behaviors. And if you choose not to do those behaviors or you don't exhibit those behaviors, hey, no harm, no foul. You just don't maintain that discount and you pay the same premium as everybody else. So no different than if you and I had identical homes. We had lived in identical homes across the street from each other. Only difference is, Peter, you have a home security system and I don't. So of course, you're paying less for your homeowner's insurance than I am. But if you made the behavioral choice of deciding, you know what, I don't wanna type this code in every time I come and go, and you lapse, let's say your home security subscription that you have through whatever service it happens to be, you're not being penalized in your homeowner's insurance. You're just paying the appropriate premium based on the behaviors in which you're exhibiting, which would be the same premium that I am. But next year you could, you know what? Mm, that code wasn't that inconvenient. I am going to start doing it and then save whatever the savings would have been. So that's really where like, again, giving value to the consumer today as a carrot to those positive health behaviors. And I think that, and that's what's really important to understand. Behavior insurance is not about carrots and sticks. There is no stick mm -hmm. with behavioral insurance. It's about nudges and incentives for that behavior, not penalties for not exhibiting the behavior. And I will say that the the visibility is huge. I mean, now in the in the era of fitness trackers and things like that like I, I thought i was a pretty fit guy and 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 i did sign up through a group benefits uh you get to to spin the wheel for a reward if you make your your fitness goals right and i'll say like you know two two weeks out of the month it's it's i'm working out just for that right like and and then it, but it encourages that healthy behavior and then i find myself just working out more you know and and trying to be a little bit more healthy so i, I definitely think that it works and it's definitely it's very encouraging to have that kind of reward system in place. Right, because you're creating these micro moments, right? So let's just, if it was simply about just the premium benefit, right? So if it was just about the premium, but let's say you only pay your premium once a year, right? You pay it every January, let's just say. Well, what's to keep me interested in August, right? So that's where creating these positive touch points, this personalized journey, right? Like the Netflix view yeah. throughout the year, not just solely about that single snapshot moment in time. It's almost just a little gamification too, just to keep you interested. And so Matthew, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, do you have anything else to, the, the, to add for the listeners? I, I think the, the big thing to keep in mind is it's very easy to think that this is much bigger than, than, than the reality of what it is. What behavioral insurance is doing is saying, I'm going to provide you with an insurance solution that is uniquely yours, right? Because I think what's important to understand conceptually how insurance works is you are put, so like I'll use myself as an example from a, from a life insurance perspective. 
I will be put into a risk pool of 44-year-old non-smoking males. We, as an aggregate group of 44-year-old non-smoking males, we pay the aggregate worst risk in that group, which is fine. Like insurance is fundamentally an average. That's the way it works. But what behavioral insurance allows the individual to say, no insurance company, I'm not the worst risk in the pool. I'm exhibiting better behaviors than my peers. And as a result, I would subsequently want my premium reduced over time, or I want other incentives and rewards as a result of the fact that I am a better risk than my peers. And that's really what it boils down to, is it's taking a personalized approach, almost bespoke insurance, and bringing it down to the individual level and the personalized level. I think that's a really great way to sum it up because I, I always had the frustration that, you know, my car insurance is going up every year, but I drive the same car. But just because every a whole bunch of other people that drove that car, maybe got into accidents or however they do it, or maybe it got stolen more than other cars, it didn't feel fair, right? But then you you do the, the little driver thing on the phone and, and you know, oh, it turns out you're a pretty good driver. He's a 10% discount for, for that. So it, it's it's great to add that little bit of personalization into the, you know, we may all be in that certain risk factor, but the small things that we do on a daily basis can help, right? So that's that's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, Matthew. That was uh, that was really good. Yeah. Great, really appreciate it, Peter. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm I'm hoping uh, people enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks. That was a great chat with Matthew. What stood out to me was the concept of the micro moment. Like Matthew said. You pay your premium once a year and then you never think about your insurance policy until it's time to pay the premium again. But with behavioral insurance, you may get a reward for hitting your step goal, making healthier nutrition choices, or taking care of your mental health. And that micro moment, I think, keeps encouraging people to adopt a healthier lifestyle. Thanks again to Matthew for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Peter Ward, and this has been Solutions To Go. Copyright Manulife. This podcast, including case studies and support materials, is for general information purposes only and is not specific to any one individual or case. The podcast shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, tax, accounting, or other advice. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and are subject to change based on legislative, case law, market and other conditions that may change during the course of recording and publishing of this podcast. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from the use of the information in this podcast. The Manufacturer's Life Insurance Company, Manulife, is the issuer of Manulife insurance contracts, contracts containing Manulife segregated funds, and the guarantor of any guarantee provisions therein. Manulife Investment Management is a trade name of Manulife.